Um, before we uh, dive into our psalm for this morning, I want to take just a brief moment uh, to say something in response to uh, something that happened in the U.S. Senate this week, something that probably went unnoticed um, by many people. Uh, but this week, the U.S. Senate, in an um, effort that was supported by both Democrats and Republicans, moved forward a bill called the Respect for Marriage Act. I just want to take a moment to speak to this. I will not do this very often, but I think it's important for us to make uh, this statement this morning. Uh, the state, the government, does not define marriage. Um, God does that. Uh, and he defined it at the very beginning. And we know this according to his word alone. So we affirm today that we sit under the authority of God's word as his church, as his people. Uh, and we have a responsibility from God, a right from God, to hold uh, those who are in authority responsible. Um, we live in a strange day where no longer are politics based on different views of economy and, and foreign affairs, uh, but it has become a battle for morality. And again, we affirm this morning that God is the author of all things, and we sit under the authority of his word. Uh, and so my prayer is for you as an individual, as families, as a church, that we would be aware of what is happening in our world, that we would be educated, that we would be steadfast, uh, and that we would hold those in elected positions accountable to the authority of God's word. Uh, and so whatever that looks like for you and your family, I pray that you are doing those things uh, to stand firm on the word of God and hold uh, our elected officials holding their feet to the fire of Scripture and what God has set forth for us. Um, if you would, turn with me this morning to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, as we continue in our series looking at the penitential Psalms. And we uh, sing very much what we're about to read together this morning, which is how it should be that we sing the Word of God together. And so I'm thankful for the words we just sang that we're going to read here together in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, let's just stop uh, here and just once again commit this time to the Lord this morning. Father in heaven, we uh, come before you and we indeed confess our sinfulness before you. Uh, we confess our brokenness, we confess our need for you, and we thank you for uh, the truths that we just sung about, that your mercy is more uh, that you cover our sins, that you love us in spite of our sinful state, and you displayed that love uh, to us by sending your Son to the cross to pay that debt uh, that we owe. So, Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. I pray that we would um, cling to that truth this morning as we sit under the teaching of your word, uh, as we sit under the authority of your word, that we would look not to ourselves, but we would look to Christ anew again today, as our hope uh, in all things, life and death, that we would look to Christ alone. Lord, help us in these moments as we uh, walk through Psalm 51 together to uh, not be distracted uh, by the things of this world. There's a lot of things going on in our lives, and uh, even in this very day, I pray that just in these few moments that you would help us to focus our attention to the text and what you have to say for, for us this morning, Lord. Uh, guard us from error. Uh, protect my lips from anything that would be false, Lord. I pray that your truth would reign supreme in this place and in this time, and it's in your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. 
As we've been doing over the last several weeks, I'd ask for you to stand with me this morning if you're able to uh, and turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 51 as we read together in unison uh, this great psalm together this morning. I'll be reading from the ESV. If your translation is not the English Standard Version, we'll have those words on the screen so you can read along with us as we read together out loud Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. Would you read with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. There are many hymns that are famous, if you will, uh, ones that we are very familiar with. I'm not sure there are words uh, that have been penned in the Psalms that are um, uh, more joy-filled than the words found there in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. I love these words. I love that we just sung them uh, together. But I'm excited this morning as the preacher to come to a chapter of Scripture that so clearly communicates and articulates to us truth 
that we have already been talking about in this sermon series. Uh, As the preacher, I am excited. I hope it excites you as well as David very simply and precisely communicates a lot of things that we've talked about over the last several weeks. Uh, Things like uh, sin is an offense toward a holy God. We see this here in verse 3, at the beginning of verse 4 as well, when it says, uh, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. And so we've talked about how Scripture teaches us that sin is not just an offense against self and others. Ultimately, sin is an offense against a holy God. We see here again that we are born with a sin nature. We talked about this last week, the original sin that we're born into. David says of this in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying here that the act of conception here for him was a sinful act, but rather, as we talked about last week, he is born with a sin nature. He is totally and utterly sinful. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners, as we talked about last week. Uh, Something else we see here in in the passage that we've talked about before is that repentance is a turning away from sin. We see this in verse 13 when he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. True repentance and faith in Christ is a turning away from the world and sin and flesh and the culture and turning to Christ. That is what repentance is according to Scripture. We're reminded here again of what a contrite heart is, and we see that contrition is true repentance. Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Uh, we, We do not repent rightly when we repent because we've been caught in sin. We repent in a contrite heart when we are sorry for our sin against God. Uh, We see here, too, that God is justified in his judgment against us. We already read this, but look again at verse 4. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Then he says, So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God would not be a good and righteous God if he was not a good judge. And he must punish sinners for our sin and our offense against him. He is a good and right judge. He is justified in that act. But contrast the justification of God with the grace of God. We are reminded here again that God's grace covers all sin. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Completely and utterly, our sins are taken care of at the cross. Notice again there, I would, uh, be, uh, I would reg- regret not pointing out the word hesed again. We see it there again, the steadfast love of God, the never stopping, never giving up love of God, that when we are in Christ, nothing can separate us from his love. We go on to verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We are completely cleansed from our sin. We bear the righteousness of Christ through faith. Uh, Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. As far as our sins are, they are cast as far as the east is from the west. They are no more against us in Christ. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
And then verse 14, it says, deliver me from blood guiltness. Praise God for the grace that we have found in the blood of Christ this morning. We're also reminded here that God will keep us by his Holy Spirit alone. Look with me at verse 11. It says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David's confidence rests in the fact that he knows that nothing can separate him from the love of Christ. If the Holy Spirit of God resides in you this morning, you are in Christ and nothing can change your standing this morning. But we're also reminded of the joy that is to be found in forgiveness. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. We said that word blessed means happy. Do you know the happiness and joy of having your sins forgiven this morning in Christ? David does. He talks about it here. The second part of verse 14. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Verse 8, he said, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. There is joy to be found this morning in forgiveness. There is joy to be found in confession and repentance. And this gets me excited this morning as the preacher. Because this chapter gives proof that I am not making this up as I go. David is proclaiming these same things that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. And it is a reminder for us this morning that the word of God is unified throughout. That the truth of Scripture from page to page is clear and precise. That there is no contradiction in Scripture. That we can come to the pages of Scripture and find truth this morning. This is our authority. It is sufficient for all things. And so we sit under it confidently this morning. I have nothing to offer you in and of myself this morning other than the Word of God. And here we sit under it and see it proclaiming again today these great truths we've been talking about over the past several weeks. But I want us to consider something else this morning that we have not touched on, that we see coming to light in Psalm 51. There's something else here that I want us to focus our attention on this morning, and that is this. David's prayer for himself and for the people of God points us to a better David this morning. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll unpack that a little bit as we go through but I want us to do something. This psalm, and, if, and in my translation of God's word, they, uh, they quote the Hebrew. In the original Hebrew text, you have the, the subheading there for Psalm 51. In my translation, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. I think it would be a disservice for us this morning to consider this grand prayer without looking at it through the lens of this sin. So I want us to take a moment to turn to 2 Samuel 11. If you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 2 Samuel chapter 11. As we consider the context of this psalm, what was it that inspired David to write this psalm. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba um, and the rebuke that Nathan the prophet gave him. As we read through the story, as we consider the story this morning, I want you to be thinking on the words that we've read together and sung together this morning through the lens of this story. In 2 Samuel 11, uh, we're told that David sent his men out to battle Uh, against the Ammonites under the leadership of Joab, but David remains in Jerusalem. And in verse 2, it says, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking 
on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And in verse 5 it says, The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And so when David gets this word, he uh, sends a message to Joab to have Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, return to Jerusalem. David has a plan. He's going to plot a way to cover up his iniquity in and of himself. We pick up in verse 8. It says, Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and he did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Here is David plotting a wicked deed to cover up his sin, and Uriah is a man of integrity, and he says, I cannot go home to sleep with my wife while the men of Israel are at war. This just adds insult to injury. And so David tells Uriah to remain another day, and he attempts one more time to cover up his sin. Verse 13, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And at the end of verse 13, it says, but he did not go down to his house. In his sin, David is plotting and he is trying to cover up his sin, but his sin is spiraling out of control. And so we come to verse 14 and it says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it in the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. David places this death sentence in the hands of Uriah himself to return to Joab, that they would remove themselves from him so that he would die in battle. And at the end of verse 17, it says, Uriah the Hittite also died. Verse 26, it says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We're reminded here again anew of what we've talked about before, that sin will take us farther than we want to go, keep us longer than we want to stay. We need to be about killing sin daily. But I, I want you to notice, though, what happens next. In chapter 12, Nathan the prophet comes to him with a word from the Lord, and he speaks of a rich man who had a lot of sheep in his flock and a poor man who only had one ewe lamb. And this poor man loved this lamb in such a way that it was a friend to his children. He considered this lamb to be a daughter to him, the text says. And a traveler comes into the town. The rich man wants to hold a feast for him. And instead of taking from his plenty, he takes the one ewe lamb from the poor man and kills it. And this makes David 
angry. It says there, his anger was greatly kindled against the man. And then in verse 7, Nathan the prophet famously says to David, you are the man. It goes on there in verse 7. The Lord's response to David, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So we return to Psalm 51, and we look at Psalm 51 then through the lens of this. David's sin was most definitely brought into the light. And what is so profound about Psalm 51 is David just did a grievous thing. And yet Psalm 51 is very joy-filled. There's a lot of joy to be found in Psalm 51. When we look at Psalm 51, we sense that David has a zeal for righteousness. He has a zeal for righteousness in his own life, but also in the life of Israel. He prays there in verse 18 of Psalm 51, do good to Zion. We know in scripture that David was a man after God's own heart, and it comes to light in this prayer. This prayer for forgiveness, this prayer for the cleansing of the heart, a restoration of the joy of salvation for himself and for the people of Israel. And I wonder, in our own lives, do we ever pray like this? Do we ever come before the Lord with this type of zeal in our prayers? When is the last time you bowed the knee before the creator of the universe and asked him and pleaded with him to give you a clean heart, to give you holiness and and a desire to strive for righteousness, to restore joy in your life that sin in the world is trying to suck away from you? When is the last time you prayed with this type of zeal for your family? That God would protect your children and your home from the schemes of, devil, of the devil. When is the last time you prayed with this type of zeal for your church, for your country? My prayer above all things in this series of, of confession, if you will, is that we would learn to pray more like David. That we would come before the holy creator God of the universe with confidence and plead on behalf of his namesake, to do about the things that he promises to do in his word. May we be people who pray with this type of zeal. But David has a problem here. And the problem is this. His zeal and his desire for goodness and his sacrifices cannot accomplish 
anything for him in regards to the state of his heart. Look at verse 6. Notice what it says the Lord delights in. You delight in truth. Contrast that then to what he does not delight in, verse 16. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. This language of God not delighting in sacrifices is not uncommon to us. In Isaiah 1.11, God himself said, I do not delight in the blood of bulls and goats or of lambs or of goats. You might say to yourself, well, why is the entire Old Testament religious system based on the blood of bulls and goats? Because it's pointing to something better, pointing to a better sacrifice Earlier in Psalms 40, verses 6 through 8, David said something very similar. Listen to what he said in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. David said, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. David has a dilemma in Psalm 51. And the dilemma is this, his zeal and his sacrifice will not bring about what he desires, a clean heart and a renewed spirit. With everything that is true of Psalm 51 that we talked about at the top, that list that we ran through, all these things we've been talking about, an animal sacrifice just doesn't seem to cut it. One commentator said, it's almost as if David is saying, thank you, God, for saving my life. Now here's a goat. How weak. How weak and measly is that? There is a tension here in this passage, and the tension is this. Something more is needed. The sacrifice of animals will not cut it. So I want you to hold your place there in Psalm 51, and I want us to go to another passage here in Hebrews 10. So hold your place in Psalm 51 and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 as we unpack a little bit of this here in the New Testament. We're going to go back and forth for just a moment between these two passages. So hold your place there, Psalm 51. But in Hebrews chapter 10, listen to the first seven verses here. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, the the sacrifices of the Old Testament cannot make atonement for the sins of the people, but they are pointing to a better sacrifice that is to come. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, these Old Testament sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, watch this. We just quoted Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And who said that? David wrote it. 
But here, he is going, the author of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, by the way, that's a topic for a whole other day, he cites it as Christ, verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is Psalm 46 through 8, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book of life. And so when we consider all these things in Psalm 51 that David prays for and and talks about truth in the inward being, wisdom in the secret heart, a clean heart, a right spirit, a broken and contrite heart, we cannot produce those things in and of ourselves. Someone must come and intervene on our behalf with that type of sacrifice, and that type of sacrifice and the satisfaction of that sacrifice only comes through Jesus Christ. David has the zeal as the king of Israel for righteousness in himself and of his people, but it will not satisfy this tension. A better David must come. A better sacrifice must come. When David said there in Psalm 40, I desire to do your will, a desire to please God is not enough to satisfy the wrath that we deserve for our sin. And David knows, and he says it here in Psalm 51, that the animal sacrifice is not enough. That it is a temporal act pointing to an eternal act that is to come, this better David, this better sacrifice. So turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and let's see this unfold before us in verse 8. Hebrews 10 verse 8 says, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There in Hebrews 10, when he cites Psalm 40, Jesus says, behold, I have come. This is what we're about to celebrate as we enter into the Christmas season, that God himself became a man. That God himself came near to us. Why? Well, it goes on to say there, to do the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father for the Son? to come to this earth, to live a sinless life, and to die a death that he did not deserve so that we, through faith, might have life eternal, this life eternal that we just read about. And then he says there also, Behold, I have come to do your will as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. All of Scripture is testifying to this Messiah. The Old Testament is telling us in all of its pages, that there is a better David coming. 
that there's a Messiah who's coming. There's a better sacrifice who is coming. And so just as David in his day look forward in faith to this Messiah to come, we today look back in faith to this one who has already come and conquered sin and death. That is what we rejoice in this morning, that sin has been defeated, that the God-man, God himself, has come near to us, that he took on the form of a man, and he conquered sin and death once and for all. He says, I have come to do your will. Christ himself to the point of death on a cross. And so we look to the heroes of the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, and David. And we see here and are reminded this morning that they cannot restore what is broken. They're larger than life persona, the fact that they are heroes of the faith, and we decorate children's nurseries according to the stories that we learn about them in the Bible. Their zeal for God, their zeal for righteousness and the people of God cannot fix the sin problem this morning, because as we see with David himself, a man after God's own heart, they are fallen and broken people. But the good news for us this morning is there is a better sacrifice. There is a better David. There is a better Moses, a better Adam. Jesus himself has come and he lived that perfect life without sin so that through him we might know forgiveness of sin and find the joy that David sings about here in Psalm 51. He is the true and better Adam, the true and better David. There's a hymn that was written recently. Yes, there are still hymns that are written in modern day, believe it or not. Um, It's a simple hymn. It's three verses. And I would like to just read the words uh, to this hymn to you because I think it communicates perfectly what we're talking about this morning. So listen to this. This hymn is titled, Not in Me. Uh, Maybe later today, if you follow me on Facebook, I'll post this and you can listen to it. But I want us to just hear the words together this morning as we close. It says, No list of sins I have not done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you. Verse 2 goes on to say, No humble dress, no fervent prayer, no lifted hand, no tearful song, no recitation of the truth can justify a single wrong. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by him, and he alone can give me rest. No separation from the world, no work I do, no gift I give can cleanse my conscience, cleanse my hand. I cannot cause my soul to live, but Jesus died and rose again. The power of death is overthrown. My God is merciful to me and merciful in Christ alone. Dear friend, this morning, your zeal for God your sacrifice of, of, of your work and sacrifice of yourself to your family, your good intentions, 
your desire for godliness, virtue, fervent prayer, raised hands and song, good works, going to church, reading your Bible, none of these things can bring you into good standing before God. But what we celebrate this morning in Psalm 51 is in our sinful state that God made a way to restore us to himself by the blood of Christ at the cross. And so look again this morning to the cross of Christ. Our measly sacrifices of worship are for nothing if our hearts have not been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look to Jesus alone today, dear friend. Believe in him as Savior and Lord. Repent and turn from your sin. If you're in Christ this morning and you have sin in your life that has gone unrepented, kill it today, confess it, bring it before the Lord, and walk in righteousness anew again today. As we close this time, this altar is open. You are free to come and pray here. Uh, You can come and speak to me at the front if you'd like, but as we close, let's respond this morning in faith and repentance anew to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Master and Savior. Let's pray.